Hi, I'm Chris Bailey, and welcome to the C. Bailey Cast. In this show, we interview smart and amazing people about 3D art, filmmaking, and how to thrive in today's online metaverse. Uh, if you'd like to find out how to support the stuff that I'm doing, you can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash cbaileyfilm, and all the rest of the info is over on YouTube at youtube.com slash cbaileyfilm, where you can learn all about creating 3D art for yourself and filmmaking and crazy cool stuff. I hope that you go check out the rest of the stuff that I'm doing online. Also, you can find out more detail about today's guest in the YouTube version of this video, so you can find that in the descriptions. I'll put it in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the C. Bailey cast. Today, uh, we're going to have a fun conversation with uh, Rhett uh, from Rhett Mankind, the YouTube channel. He does uh, really, really cool stuff. He's an awesome artist in his own right, but he's actually really involved in the NFT scene and he's um, been involved in it for a little while um, and experimenting in crypto art and learning about it. And so I wanted to bring him on and have a conversation about this hot topic and begin to break it down and talk about the long-term life of this technology and how it might impact us as 3D artists. All right, so let me uh, get him on and uh, we'll get started. Hello, Red. Hello. Thanks for joining. No problem. Good to be here, Chris. Yeah, thanks for giving me your time. I really, really appreciate it, mate. Um, so, Red, let's just start off. You, you've been doing you've been doing 3D art for a very long time. Like you have been involved in the scene. Um, and creating stuff as a 3D artist. How did you first kind of get started doing 3D and creating art? Uh, look, I've been doing art and design for like over two decades now. So I've been doing it for what feels like my whole life pretty much. And uh, straight out of school, uh, I knew I was meant to do it. I, I used to go to... Uh, so, so I sort of finished the top 10% in art and design in, in high school. And then I thought I would get into any university I wanted and they all rejected me from my portfolio. And then I was left with like one week to go before uh, I had to get into some sort of course. And I was just going around looking at what was out there. And the moment I knew that I was always going to do this was when I went to a, an electrical design course and I went in there and they were saying, well, this course is about uh, making circuit boards and creating the, you know, the design philosophies around how, and I was like, this is not what I want to do at all. So why, how did I end up here? <laughs> And it was because it had the word design in the title. I thought this is worth checking out. Um, and I was like, okay, this is not what I want, but I'm obviously going to always do sort of art and design or something like that. So I think I went literally across the road. There was another campus of, you know, and then there was an art and art foundation course that uh, I was able to get in via some other certificate method. They let me in because I couldn't afford uh, the tuition of several thousand dollars for to, to do that foundations course, but they, they let me in for a few hundred dollars through a certificate course because they liked my portfolio. So oh, cool. that's, you know, that's how I started out out of the gate from school. 
and I just never stopped doing it from there and always trying to find a way on how to, you know, survive and, uh, and do what I loved, you know, in some capacity. That's cool, man. And you started with, what was your first 3D software? Cause you use, um, Cinema 4D prominently, right? That's your, your home yep. in, in the 3D land. Where, where did you start with? Did you start there or did you start with something else? Uh, I, I pro- look, I, I started before I think any of those 3D programs were invented. Yeah. So I started with something uh, probably called StrataVision. StratoVision, okay, nice. Was, um, you know, it probably went out of fashion a decade ago. And <laughs> so, I, was, I was True Space. That was my, I don't know if you ever saw that one. That was one of those early yeah. like Lightwave 3D kind of precursors. But uh, that's cool. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't even know that one. <laughs> <laughs> no one does. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, on and off over, over the years and different versions of different 3D uh, programs. But I feel like, yeah, I really sort of latched on to Cinema 4D. Uh, I think when it, because it was Mac-based and I was Mac-based for quite a okay, while, yeah. uh, like it started as a Mac, you know, friendly platform. And I was terrible to begin with, of course, but I, I just stuck with it over the years. Um and then I feel like more recently over the last several years, at the start of every year, I try to learn Blender and I just, I last about two or three weeks. I'm like, hmm, but I know how to do this in this other program and it will take me, you know, I've already learned how to do it. So why do I want to spend a week relearning something? In Don't a new worry. Program? We'll, so, we'll convert you one day. Yeah. It'll, it'll happen. So, I, think. I try. You know. <laughs> I do I have, appreciate it. Yeah. I, and I do have, one tutorial I did, and it is uh, like a Blender tutorial nice. for Roblox on your channel. <laughs> I nice. made it, yeah, yeah. On my ch- I made it for my daughter because she was asking me how to do something in three D uh, for Roblox. So I like it. Oh, let's ju- let's do a tutorial just for that. Nice. I think That's Blender and Roblox they go hand in hand. It's pretty uh, pretty friendly territory. That's cool, man. That's, I actually so I started in um, I started in Maya uh, professionally when I started working um, as a designer and stuff. And then I switched to Cinema 4D back in, I forget which version it was, but it would have been like in 2000, 2010 maybe. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I lived in Cinema 4D for a while. really enjoyed it. It was a good program. Enjoyed like the workflow and like modifiers and all that stuff. It was really, whatever they're called, the, you know, the whole drag and drop system. I just loved how intuitive it was. I didn't actually switch to Blender until they really overhauled their UI like maybe five years ago. I think it was, and uh, yeah, haven't haven't looked back. But um, anyways, if you need a good YouTube channel on learning Blender, I can recommend C uh, Bailey Film <laughs> to you and everyone else out there watching. It's a good reminder you can watch the show live uh, YouTube at C Bailey Film, also on Twitch at C Bailey Film. So uh, just check that out if you can. We can do it at a regular time. So good luck catching it when it's live. But anyways, so Zaret, you you've you've been so you worked as a designer, right? And um, and then you and you got into 3D and you're always doing art. You've done traditional art too, though. It's not just 3D for you, right? Like you um, like draw paint. Like was there another medium that you really gravitated to? Or? Yeah, I'm old enough that when I first designed logos, it was with paint. It was with gouache and uh, nice. you would, uh, yeah. So And gouache is not a piece of software, by the way, just, just so everyone knows. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd use uh, these brushes and I'd line it up. and Yeah, yeah. So, um, but... I, I really gravitated towards computers in general when they first came out and I really understood it and got it. So uh, uh, I, I just love computers in general. It sounds silly to say it now, but there was a time when computers weren't used for anything art and design, you know. It was, it's a, it was a new concept uh, back then. But, yeah, so 
yeah, I, I got into the web and interactive stuff and, you know, went on to branding and just anything related to that with computers I would be into. Uh, so my background, like, um, I've got like a ver a varied background from things like uh, branding specialist to like creative director in advertising agencies. I've had my own studio agencies before. Been a music video director. Uh, I've, you know, I've been all sorts, uh, but all related to being creative and art, design, and film. And I was always trying to get across that stuff. So I don't know how many uh, Australian, uh, you know listeners you have but uh, hopefully some because we're both sort of australian but i i designed the triple m logo um nice. I, I designed uh I, I did music videos for the living end and some some other ones so i've i've done like recognizable things around australia but you, as a artist or designer you're always like the hidden face yeah. behind things you never like um you never like a, like a rock star or you never, you know, the, like, like artists uh, in like proper artists, you know, traditional artists, you, you think of, oh, that's, you know, they've got a name and a face, whether it's like Ken Doan or whether it's, uh, you know, Salvador Dali or P Pablo Picasso, like, you know, their name and their face and that goes along with their art. Yeah. But in design, you don't really, you know, the, you People in the in the mainstream media don't really a, a, attach or associate the designers or the artists behind works. They just look at the thing and go, "Isn't this a great car?" And there's no sort of recognition of the great designer behind it. It started to slowly move with Apple and you know Johnny Ive and all the people behind it that do things. But but generally, you know, it, it's sort of the faceless, uh, talented people behind the scenes which make all these things happen. Yeah, that's right. Like the background uh, artist that's that's creating the thing that, that uh, everyone encounters but no one recognizes is their work. Um, well, that's kind of a good segue, I guess, to start talking about our main topic. And I wanted to kind of, I wanted to start this off uh, by giving everybody a bit of context that's listening to the show or watching live because um, a crypto art, NFTs, like it is, it's a very hot topic right now. Like it's, it's insanely hot. Um, and there's a lot of information that's flying around right now. There's a lot of, you know, people, you know, really cautionary stories. There's a lot of like negative stuff. Around. There's a lot of positive stuff. There's a lot of hype. What the point of this conversation is and why I brought Red on was to talk about NFTs as a technology and, and, and how the, the blockchain is going to affect us as artists, not right now in this hype cycle, um, and we're not going to be jumping onto that. It's it's about the long tail of this technology. Um, so personally, uh, when I really began learning about this stuff and researching it at the start of the year, for me, it was a, a moment of realization that this is a technology that's not just going to go away. This is going to be something that will be around. And it's going to be a part of all of our careers. And we need to think about it as creators and 3D artists. You know, if you're trying to be, you know, move into 3D art as, as a career, you know, whether it's design or animation or filmmaking, um, understanding uh, these, these smart contracts, understanding NFTs and, and all this stuff is, is going to really help you in the long term because you're going to be able to understand how you can engage with it. And when I say that, I'm not saying you go make a piece of art and you can go sell it for 200 grand, you know, tomorrow uh, and, or, you know, go take all of your life savings and pour it into an Ethereum wallet and go buy up whatever you can now because it's, you know, going to be big later. Um, 
uh, don't buy into that hype. It's think about this as is a long term thing. Is something that's not going away. Uh, so we wanted to talk about this, and and uh, Rhett is is a great person to talk about this because um, so he's he's he he's been involved in this. Uh, he got involved in this early uh, 2020. You were saying right. Uh, so 2020 is when you were really starting to get involved in in. NFTs and, and and that whole world of stuff, and he's really been there from from that point and tracked along with it. And now he's at a point where he's an established artist in that scene. Um, I th- I think you're established. I mean, I I view you as an established artist. I don't know what you view yourself as, but the um but the work that you're doing is really great. You're doing amazing stuff, and you're actually engaging in the the, the marketplace right now um, in its sort of heat of you know the the insanity of what's going on. So. Um, but you've got a really level head about it. And, um, I really like what you talk about in terms of adding value to the space. Um, and so I just wanted to give you the chance, uh, to talk about it a bit here and for us to talk about it. So I just wanted to kind of give everyone that preamble, that setup to this conversation so that you know where we're coming from and what we're trying to achieve in this conversation tonight. Um, so let's, let's start off. Let me give you my best understanding of what the blockchain is and you shoot holes in it. Okay. You tell me if I'm completely wrong. So if you have no idea what the blockchain is, here you go. This is, this is my best explanation. So picture in your mind, a thousand computers, uh, just hypothetical, you know, hundred thousand computers, whatever, all over the place. They're decentralized. They're, they're in people's homes, right? Uh, it's not some company. It's not Google on the Hill, right? And all these computers have a spreadsheet, right? And they have the same spreadsheet and they're coordinated in such a way that you can't write a line in the spreadsheet unless it's written on all of those computers at the same time. And you have to do it in order. So there's no uh, you know, switching of the order. It's sort of this is the entry that goes next, and it goes next in every set of the spreadsheet. So you have an identical copy of all of these, all right? And it's different from Google Sheets because it's not a centralized copy that's on Google servers. Again, think about it as people's computers all over the place. And so anything that's recorded in that record is basically a fully trackable, traceable um, transaction. So it, it, you know, the next line is written in all these different computers and it's verifiable because you can go through and you can see that they're all the same. And if there's an entry that's different on one of those spreadsheets, you know it's not true because it doesn't match all the others. And so that allows things to be uh, kind of real in a sense. So I can say, all right, here's my one piece of cryptocurrency and I'm gonna give it to Rhett. And so it's gonna be recorded now in the spreadsheet. Everybody sees that Chris gave this piece of cryptocurrency to Rhett. Great, good job, Chris. And and then Rhett's got it now, and it's it's in that it's in that log. So it's a it's a simple concept uh, in some ways, and it's complex in others. I'm leaving out a lot of detail, but that's the gist of it. So am I getting it right? What do you what do you think, Rhett? Am I? I like it. You, you've got the underlying uh, understanding of what's happening, and then like all that is you know, an important basis to understand because if you understand how that works, then you know that you can't just kill it. Like you, you, if one server goes down or a whole country goes down, it doesn't stop the blockchain. Like it, you know, it it maintains that, you know, information until that other thing goes up. So it, it doesn't go away. You know, you, you can't kill it. Uh, and it's sort of like a trustless, a trustless way of doing interaction. So I don't even need to know you. I don't need to go through an intermediary or a bank or whatever. It's set up in a way that, yeah, you you could send me something and it gets to me and then that's it. There's there's no one else involved. It's just a system that organizes it, it all, which is mm. amazing. And it's not a company. I think that's sort of we're so used to thinking about new inventions as coming from a company. And so they own this thing 
And what's so cool about this stuff is that it's not a company. Bitcoin's not a company and Ethereum's not a company in the sense that they have a big building somewhere with all these computers that are you know, saving all these transactions. So if you lose an entire, if you lose Europe, you know, all the, all the Bitcoin, you know, records in Europe, there's still hundreds of thousands of records in the US and in India and all these other places where people have been mining. Um, and so that's how you get this decentralization. So it's not controllable. It's something that's completely out of control, but it's completely unified. Um, now there's a lot of problems with that that are still being worked out. So the technology is still, you know, being developed like Bitcoin. I know like it has like a, a pause, right? It's like a, there's a timer where you have to wait for the next line to be written in all the sheets. It's the basic thing that I've heard. Um, and then like Ethereum, I know is, it has its own issues as well. Like none of these things are have nailed it necessarily 100% yet, but um, but that's the basic underlying technology. So so what's the step then? So what then is a uh, a piece of crypto art? How is how is art related to this spreadsheet that's propagated everywhere? Cool. So we'll leave Bitcoin aside at the moment. That's sort of the big dog everyone knows about cryptocurrency. But on Ethereum, it's a little bit of a different blockchain where you can sort of publish new tokens or coins on top of the Ethereum network. So you can actually create contracts and make things on top of it. So it, this blockchain is a little bit different to uh, some others. Uh, so what that this network or technology allows is the creating of a, a new token. So uh, this thing called NFTs came up, which is stands for non-fungible tokens. And just quickly to explain what that is, like, Fungibility just means you can exchange something really easily, like dollars for dollars or bitcoins for bitcoins, and you don't care which one that you have. They're all, you know, you don't care if I give you two five dollar notes and you give me a ten. That's all, all the same. So non fungible is like the counter to that, where things are unique. Uh, you can't change them. So like a piece of artwork is different to another piece of artwork, or if you're in the balcony on the theater or in the stalls, it's a different price range, a different experience. Uh, so we've got that now in the digital realm uh, because of these tokens. Um, we can have files or, or tokens that are not the same as each other and have different value. And so it's it's most uh, most commonly or easily easily described as like if you think of an artwork and you have the certificate of authenticity that comes with it to prove like this is the original artwork. It's by this creator and it has this provenance like you history that comes with it it's we now have the digital equivalent of that and we've never been able to have that ever before in history like of, of digital the digital space um and that's what the game changer is because we can still infinitely copy files you know copy and paste email everyone can see it but not everyone has that certificate of authenticity to prove like this is the original or this is the the true one that i i own or it comes from this particular person so Hmm. that's the the real game changing thing here that is connected to the the technology and uh so all this mainly happens on the ethereum network but there are other blockchains that are coming out that you can also publish NFTs on other blockchains altogether. Hmm. And they run a little bit differently. But at the moment, the king of doing NFTs is the Ethereum network. Right. Yeah, because Ethereum was really like, I guess, the, 
the largest or maybe the first, I don't know if it was the first, I assume it was the first cryptocurrency that enabled smart contracts to, yeah. to work, but it had this extra functionality beyond like what Bitcoin was doing. Um, so the, so you, you, we've got all this stuff. Another good way to think about it is like, um, a photograph, a famous photographer, you know, how a photographer, they'll go and they'll, they'll do a shot and they'll print like a hundred copies of that photo and they'll sign them and they'll write like one of a hundred, two of a hundred, you know, three yeah. hundred. you can still like go into their website and you can download a JPEG of that photo. Right. Um, you, you can go to the museum gift shop and you can buy a printed version of that photo, but it's not one of the 100. It's not like the actual print. And people still associate value with those 100 prints uh, because they're the 100 prints that the artist printed out himself and said, these are the ones that are the real deal. Um, yep. And that's all it takes in the art world um, or in any any economic sense. Economics value is attached to anything that people uh, you know are willing to, to pay for, anything that people want wherever there's a market for that, where there's you know scarcity and demand. And so when an artist does that, it creates scarcity and it creates demand depending on how famous that artist is. And that's how you get value with those, those pieces of art. And so that's how the whole art world has always worked. And um, so, yeah, as Rhett was saying, this is sort of the transition point in our history where this technology is now moving into the digital space. Um, and this this technology is applicable to things to really anything digital. Um, you know, like the 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 memes and stuff going around now, like people's like selling like well, people selling their first you know tweet or all this you know. There's it's it's this kind of mania right now around it because it's this is the beginning of this thing that's happening, and I think that's why people have attached so much of value to things like what Beeple has done because it's like you know I think you said this right. It's like owning a cave painting. Um, you know, like it's, or maybe someone else did, but the, this idea that this was like the beginning of it. And that's why kind of the value is a bit crazy, but you got to look past things. You got to look past this hype phase and you've got to be to look at, okay, where's it going? If this technology isn't going away, this means that as a digital artist, as a creator, as anyone that's doing anything in the digital world, um, you can create things that are unique. And that means that you can create things that have value in a way that they've never had before. So it's really good to begin to learn this stuff, so you can begin to think about it. Um, so, so Rhett, um, it, that's our preamble, kind of our. <laughs> we built the foundation for this conversation. What, what's, what do you think of? Well, let's talk about first. So, how did you first get into it? So, you, you, when did you find out about NFTs, and when did you start kind of experimenting with it? Sure. So, I've been into crypto since 2013. I think is when I bought my first Bitcoin. Uh, so I've been into crypto for a long time, um, but it fell off the radar for a bit. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I've been into digital art since forever, several decades. Uh, so when I saw the hashtag pop up on my Instagram feed, hashtag crypto art, I was like, mm, that was, what is this? And it didn't take me long. It was the same day. I looked at a few things. I'm like, this is me. This is for me. I'm all in. Let me research what this is. And, uh, uh, yeah, and that was like the start of 2020. Um, and it just, you know, it was like a perfect storm, a perfect time for me to get into it with uh, lockdowns and COVID happening. Uh, I, I had heaps of time to sort of hone in and research. So I minted my first thing in like f maybe February 2020. And then I went to ground for like four months after that, just researching everything before I minted anything again. Um, and it wasn't a huge wave of interest like there is now. It was 
still just people dabbling and trying things out. So there was no sort of rush to do anything. I, I didn't feel like I was missing anything by researching and doing my, you know, due diligence. Uh, so that's, yeah. And I remember, so I just found it through someone on Instagram posting about it, that they were, they'd, they'd minted something and I was like, what does this mean? So I just found it that way. But I remember the first time I went to Super Rare and I looked on the, the homepage and there was something that looked exactly like my art. It was like I, I thought I had done it, but it was like a little bit different. Then I realized it was someone who had just done my tutorial, like oh. exactly thing, you know, followed the steps and spat out the render from the end of that tutorial. And then I looked at it and I was like, that's my work, was it? but it's not my work. And then I realized they'd just done that and they'd sold that as an NFT. And it was the most popular on the site. Oh. And and it was I was I was okay with that. I was happy because uh, that's why I do tutorials for people to. And I was like, this person actually made money wow. from digital art that they did as a tutorial. And I was like, okay, this is an opportunity for me. Like if if they can do it <laughs> from following something I made for them, then I can surely do it. And uh, so that's you know was oh, man, you, you get the best attitude of the year award for uh, YouTube creators. Oh. That's. <laughs> No, I, I don't mind at all. If, that's if, awesome, I, man. That's why I, 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 make, I make tutorials. Well, I did. I haven't made one for quite a while. Is this but, the one Blender tutorial, by the way? That you- <laughs> no, it's not the Blender one. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so I was yeah, I was happy for that person. I'm, I'm still happy when I see people, you know, use my tutorials and I can, I can see the influence in their work and I'm like, I'm pretty sure they've done one of my tutorials and that's, that's cool. Like, you know, I'm, mm. I'm happy for them. That's really good. So, so that's how you began to get involved and learn about. It. So, it's a, it's a, it was a big learning process for you. And I guess I wanted to like kind of highlight that as well because I think there's a lot of people experiencing the fear of missing out right now. Um, you know, and it, you know, you mentioned it a little bit just now how you know before there wasn't any pressure, right? And I kind of like I almost wish that that this whole gold rush you know wasn't happening. I almost wish that you know the Beeple sale hadn't happened yet and that there wasn't that pressure and it could be something to explore kind of, you know, freely. I think it's something that people have to really begin to, uh, you know, kind of work back from a bit and go, all right, because it takes a long time to understand this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, I wanted to, I guess, encourage everybody as well to kind of say, don't, don't feel like you're missing out. Like give yourself that chance to, to learn, like have the, the tail, you know, like give yourself the time, you know, that like what Rhett gave himself to, to learn this and figure it out and engage with it. Um, what, what do you think of, so let's talk a bit about the, some of the, um, the, the negatives right now. So, um, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy that's kind of swirling on the internet right now around NFTs because of how big it is. Um, and, you know, one of the criticisms that I've heard is that it's a pyramid scheme, right? That's kind of the, there's that one tweet that's going around, you know, it's like this idea of here's this thing where you have to buy into it. And then, you know, if you sell something, you get a bit of Ethereum and then you buy other artists work and that encourages more artists to get in and, you know, how pyramid schemes work. And this criticism that uh, all it is, is this thing that's going to burn a whole lot of people um, and a whole lot of people are going to lose a lot of money and it's going to wreck lives. And this is just, you know, we shouldn't be engaging in this at all. Um, what do you, what, what's your response to that as you 
Mm. Uh, my, my usual response is I can tell that someone who hasn't even tried it. It's someone who's like just scared of something new and it's just they, they don't want anything to do with it. So they just sort of are looking to poke holes in it. Uh, but I think, you know, if they actually tried it and gave it a go, they would change their mind almost instantly because they would understand how it works. And because it's it's just like the, the, the monetary system, really. Like, you know, it's like calling the... I'm not saying the, the current monetary system is is great or, or perfect, but it's not a pyramid sc- scheme, you know. Um, and, yeah, so I don't really, I, I understand the, the fear, but I see it come and go for so many new technologies that the same things happen. Like I remember people saying that about the internet, yeah. that it was, you know, it's 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 a fad, it's, it's hype, it's like what's, What's the point of this? It takes so long to download things or to see things. You know, I have to print out my emails. Well, you know, why would I want to do that? And so people just not understanding how things work mm-hmm. and they're not willing to try them are the ones who want to poke holes in them. Mm-hmm. I haven't found a single person who uh, has joined and has tried it for many months and has, you know, done transactions on the blockchain or whatever and has then said it's a pyramid scheme. Like I haven't found anyone that, that's done that. So, so that's why I, it's hard to, and it, I, I think it's in my usual response is it's a real pity because that type of uh, spreading of fear and uncertainty and doubt about something new stops people getting into it. And it stops people who um, could really benefit from it the most. Mm. And it's why I, I sort of been making uh, videos about crypto art and NFTs. I made it before this hype wave happened. And yeah. um, it's because I wanted people to find a new way of doing things because it can help them break free of the shackles that they might be in. Uh, because this technology has, hasn't been available for everyone. And the, these ways of doing things and selling art or sending currency or whatever haven't been available for everyone and for a lot of people in the world it can really help them get ahead in life and when people spread this fear about new technology that they don't really understand they're really stopping people from getting into something that could really help them so that's you know is is my usual response like I'm not angry at those people for spreading those sort of false rumors but it, I just feel disappointed that it happens because those these people usually just have read an article and then they're like, oh, yeah, this is a reason why I can get my pitchfork out. And it, it uh, not only stops people getting in, but also sometimes it, these people use this as fodder to harass uh, artists doing things. And, uh, like, generally I found creative people and artists they're the best people to be doing things. They're the least likely people to be wanting to do harmful things and to to do things for malicious reasons. And like to see them get attacked is you know is disheartening for me. Hmm. I think it's part of the noise of all the attention it's getting. I think I see it as there's sort of three groups. There's kind of you have artists that are just trying to create art and they are you know engaging in this. And, and selling their work. 
Um, and then you've got people that are trying to make uh, money. They're trying to make a quick buck. You know, they're they're jumping on the hype. I think that there will be a lot of people um, in that group that are going to get burned in this season, right? Because, um, you know, anybody that jumps on something like this that's hot and exciting and it's booming, it's like they're trying to catch a bandwagon and they're trying to use it to to make money fast. Not, not that there's anything wrong with it. There's lots of people that do that. But I think, you know, one of the problems right now is that like you Google this once, like on YouTube, and your feed is going to be full of all these crazy hype videos. It's like I've been amazed watching my feed on YouTube change uh, to this sort of like just I'm getting recommendations. Um, there's like a thousand thumbnails of some guy like smiling, like, you know, and like a there's like a, you know, a, a, a snaking line behind him, like showing the stock prices going up. And it's got like, you know, some new coin. <laughs> it's like, you know, mm-hmm. and it's 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 I think when you when you haven't learned about all this stuff and you haven't exposed to this world, I think there's a lot of people just getting inundated with it like a fire hose right now. Like and it's like this whole subculture that, you know, is very different from you know, anything that, you know, and I think I, for me, like I never really wrote off cryptocurrency, but I just never really thought about it. It was sort of like heard about it, it pop up. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's not, I'll pay attention when it shows up and affects my life. And that's when I, when I saw NFTs for the first time, I'm like, okay, it's going to affect my life now. Um, but, and then I think the other group is, is people that are, uh, you know, kind of just trying to cash grab. So they're just quickly pumping out some, some JPEGs and trying to jump in. And their attitude is, I just want to get on there and I just want to, just want to try and sell something fast, you know? That's that's the category I fall into, um, and uh, I I think that it's unhealthy on those two sides. And I think that the that core group of people that are artists that are you know in there using it, this is the people that are going to stick around. Like this is the group that's going to last. Um, and and this is also the group that you know I think it, this technology, like you said, is really going to benefit. Um, and when you say benefit, like you know, uh, just clarify, I guess you know, do you mean like this is everybody's chance to make a hundred grand? Or are you saying, you know, this is just a way to in the future to like earn an income? Like, what does that look like? Uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not saying everyone that gets into this is going to get rich. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, but to have sort of ownership over your work and just the ability to be able to sell something that is a digital file directly to someone else anywhere in the world and exchange that for like crypto, which you can then change back into your, you know, currency that whatever you like, like that's not being possible. Like you, you have to work for a client or you have to find a job doing something else, or you have to find a second job to pay for you doing your personal art. Like there has not been this opportunity before for so many people And to That's what I mean by it just gives people choices. It gives them a choice. Like maybe I could, sell my piece and if it gets popular i can get a small you know group of collectors maybe or i can you know come up with a different way of living my life rather than sort of hustling to get some money to get some you know computer parts to try and do my personal work in photoshop or or blender because it can be expensive so if there's a way that I can get something back for what I'm doing, then it might help me sort of carry on doing what I love to do. Uh, and that's sometimes all it takes. Uh, and it, 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 because there's a wave of interest, it is probably quite competitive now. So there's no way you're just going to put anything up 
and it's going to find someone straight away and sell like that's probably fanciful to to think that's going to happen like that um it's more you know of just understanding the potential there um and how you might find your place in it and what you have to offer the space in general because there are going to be some like big winners that come out of this but 99% of people that get into it will you know not be well-known great artists in the space you know they're going to maybe maybe sell a small piece for a couple of hundred bucks and then just disappear and you know they they think okay well I tried it or not sell anything and they just spent money on gas and they're like well this is a scam because I just lost my money and no one bought my stuff um so yeah there'll be a lot of failures uh but it's not like you said earlier it's not a technology which is going to go away it's like ignoring the internet you know when it was in its early stages and there was the dot com bust when so many dot com like everyone if you just said web or internet company anything people would throw money at you to do something and then that went bust and everyone lost all their money but the internet didn't go away you know so the ones that provided value they they're the ones that started to grow out you know the amazons and the apples and the googles and provide the value going forward and the same will happen here the same will happen i don't know when it's going to the bust but it won't be like a like when people say a bubble you know if you think of a bubble it bursts and then it disappears it's gone but it's more like a property bubble or it's more like a balloon like it in mm. over inflates and then has to deflate a little bit to get back to a, a sustainable level and then it can you know inflate again and then deflate so it'll be more like that it'll sort of go in waves but it's it's for me it's not something that's going away so it's worth learning about at least there's a great quote. I forget where who said it, but it, that we we overestimate the impact of a technology in the short term, and we underestimate the impact of a technology in the long term. And it's a very consistent pattern. And the internet is a great example. I think it's really cool you bring that out as a parallel to this because I think that makes a lot of sense. The dot com bust was massive, and you know it's the same with what's happening now. Um, I think uh, you know another way to even think about this stuff, uh, just as you're describing it, you know, made me think, you know, it's, it's almost like digital copyright in a way. It's like, um, you know, we've always had the issue of you create an image and then you have all these usage rights around how that image can be used. And, um, but this is a, this is a chance to actually create something that, you know, in a sense has a real, real tangible copyright to it that, um, you know, you can control. And I think, um, that it's, it's, it's a really powerful thing. So thinking about, going forward like let's cast our eyes into the future right let's go past the inevitable uh correction market correction that's going to happen um and uh what is what does the world look like what does that that does that space look like for an artist who's maybe you know just come out of art school and it's got a couple of digital pieces what does what does that artist need to be thinking about what do you think that's going to look like that that process of setting up a a career as an artist yeah so this is what's really interesting because it's new it's a it'll it'll garner its new sort of philosophies and values and you know moving forward and we're still discovering what those are and what those so um if you think about like uh the the great 
novel writers or authors of their time didn't become the great directors, you know, of movies when movies were invented. And those directors didn't become the great game developers, you know, uh, when that was taking off. The same will happen here. So the great sort of visual artists or traditional artists or, or whatever that were around, that are currently around, won't be the great ones going forward. So the ones who will be successful going forward are the ones that who understand the value of this space and can bring something else important to it that make others sort of see a different perspective and find more value in it. So they're, like, they're creating something more valuable by being in the space. So you, if you think of like film, it's, you know, uh, people that like directors who have a, a unique way of editing something or coloring something or telling a story or bringing character, bold characters out. So they, they bring these unique things to the medium that didn't exist before and then that is that shines and say and people sort of are hit by that and like wow that's valuable that affects me so if you can sort of get that value and bring it over to this new medium of uh you know minting on the blockchain being able to exchange having self-sovereignty uh, all that type of you know, trustless interchange and experimenting with uh, how the smart contracts work and and programming and so if you can take the technology and wrap that up and bring your own value of uh you know whatever your art is then that's how you'll have an impact on the space and people will start to notice what you're doing but if you're just bringing something which exists somewhere else and people can find it and it's not worth much in the other place then it's not going to be worth much here it's not like you can just you know, throw anything in this space and it, and it make money or have an impact because yeah, it won't. So that's that's how I tend to think about it. Um, how you know what can I bring to this space that's new but also valuable? Uh, then it you know it you'll have a chance of having some sort of success. And in the future, that's that's what I see will 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 be useful because the people who are already in the short term experimenting with how that works are already seeing massive success. Mm. Uh, they're experimenting with, you know, how you buy and sell things or how you do limited editions or how you, um, uh, how you write contracts and how you have collectibles like uh, random or on bonding curves and like all these types of things. They're, they're sort of writing the rules right now on, on what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and so I think the people doing that will have the success in the future, but it's really hard to tell, uh, you know, exactly what it will look like in a year's time because this, you know, the crypto space moves so quick, you know, it feels like uh, I think people get, when they first join it, it is understandable they get so overwhelmed um, and it seems like you've been in a year and it's only been a month, you know, things change so quickly and new projects are popping up and it's hard to keep across everything. Cause I, I used to know every project that was about to happen in the space about like a year ago, I could tell you this is launching. Then the week after that, this is launching. Let's have a look at this and do our research. That's impossible. Now there's projects popping up all over the place, new artists joining, new, new things happening. It's uh, just so quick. So it's just, go back to your core reasons of why you're, you're doing something 
and then start to understand this new space and then how you might integrate into it. And then that's, yeah. So in the future, a lot of these, um, uh, there's so many new platforms popping up for crypto art. Uh, there's dozens now um, and even many on different blockchains. So a lot of those, you know, and I can't tell you which one will be the successful one. You know, we, I can't tell you right now which one's going to be the MySpace versus the Facebook, which one's going to be the Netscape versus the Googles or, you know, oh, Netscape. I, you know, VHS or Betamax if you want to go even further back. <laughs> I can't tell you which one is, is going to be the best. But because sometimes the best, like the VHS versus Betamax one, sometimes the best, which was debatable Betamax, doesn't win because the more popular one who got uh, there first is the v like VHS mm. is the winner, um, which, you know, there might be other blockchains out there which are theoretically better for doing NFTs, but because Ethereum has such a head start and the network effects and all these people, it might be hard to beat. Um, but it may not, you know, it may, it may get beaten and, and maybe there is room for like a Nintendo, Sony, Xbox, you know, coming up together and building their own communities and having their own value. So mm. that, that might be the way forward as well. But yeah. Yeah. it's, it's, the applications are pretty far reaching. I think, um, you know, when, um, when you think about like that future and what it would look like, you know, I, I, I tend to think about what is the, so I think like I've got a friend, right? Who he lives just not too far and his wife's a professional artist. And so she's a painter and um, she's one of the very few professional artists that I know. And the way she, you know, her, her whole career works is she creates a bunch of pieces. She just kind of locks her, locks herself away, does a bunch of, of work, uh, sketches, hones her design, hones her feel. And, really kind of nails a couple of pieces that she's really happy with. You know, she might make 20, 30 pieces and then she picks five and like, these are the ones like, and really finishes those out. And then, you know, she has, uh, you know, gallery spaces that she's able to engage with and, you know, they post her work and people come see it and buy it. And, you know, she makes, you know, $600 on that painting. She'll make, you know, 1200 bucks on that painting, 2000 on that one. And, and that's, that's how she, that's how she works. That's how she lives. And I think that, you know, we can look at that and go, okay, well, the, the art form is like, you could almost argue uh, that, you know, this whole crypto art space is almost, you know, you could argue it's a new art form possibly in the way that people are applying it. Like there's so many applications to this, but, um, but I could see a future in a couple of years time, post bubble, post hype, where that's what it could look like, you know, for anyone, you know, you, you would be able to create a bunch of pieces, hone your voice, hone your style and go to these online galleries and host your work and see what happens. And um, I think that uh, that's probably a good mindset to get into. Like if you're interested in this and, and I think that, you know, any, any 3d artist should be interested in this, um, you know, getting that mindset now of going, all right, well, you know, in the past, you look back, it's, it's not full of history of artists that are, you know, rich, right. Artists usually don't have anything. <laughs> and it's like, you know, towards the end of their career when they make it, or, or it says a quiet career, you know, where it's art that people will never hear about, but they find a little gallery that really supports them. They've got a couple of collectors that are really into what they're doing and they always buy their work. 
and and it's it's this modest um, corner of the market where they're able to create freely, and there are people that support their work. Very similar to like think about the Patreon system, you know, like the way we, that's a cool thing that's been going on, right? Like people create stuff like me, like we create on my YouTube channel, you know, all this stuff, and then people join the Patreon, not necessarily because they're going to get something out of it, but just because they like what I'm doing and they want to support that. And it's very similar, I think, for a collector. I mean, correct me if you're wrong, like the. But that idea of, you know, being able to support an artist is actually a pretty valid idea that um, that's out there. I definitely, from a lot of the large collectors that I've talked to, they are in it for that reason, trying to support the ecosystem, support the artist. And a lot of them don't intend to sell the, the works that they're, they're buying. And I'm talking about the high-end yeah. ones. But I do, I am starting to see people who are on the low end looking for just small uh, things to flip that they are looking to make a quick buck. Um, and I see those type of people will be disappointed <laughs> if they, if they're just buying anything, hoping it will make a profit the next day it doesn't. And they're disappointed, you know? So yeah, I, I usually, what do I say? Um, I say, I think I put it on my Twitter, Twitter about a month ago. Um, for, if you're going to, you know, buying advice, if you're becoming a collector, sort of buy uh, work that you connect with from artists that you like with money that you can afford to lose. And then you'll never feel like it's a bad investment. Yeah. That's, that's good advice. That's sort of the mantra I sort of go by because, mm. yeah. I, and from a personal collecting standpoint, I've only had uh, seller's remorse. I've never had, I haven't had buyer's remorse very often. Yeah, you sold uh, the people, didn't you? Was... Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've only sold too early is uh, yeah. my remorse. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I can't complain yeah. too much. I, I did That's sell a people. I should, have, yeah. I should have kept that people. But, uh, you need a t-shirt that says at least. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Nobody knew what was about to happen. Um, that's really good advice. I love that advice. I think you know everyone should really listen to that. That's good. Like if you are thinking about buying NFTs, you know, you need to think about yourself as a collector and you need to get in that mindset. And it's a totally different, you know, discussion, I think, about what is a healthy and appropriate mindset for that. And I think that's a really good, really good uh, description of that. I want to get into process and talk a little bit about your art process and like how you create. But before we do that, I guess I have one other thing that popped in my mind I really wanted to bring up. And that was, um, and I'll see if you've got something you can add to this, but I wanted to highlight for everyone real quick, if you're new to this and you wanted to get into it, Right now, NFTs and stuff, it's all happening on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and as Rhett mentioned, there are other um, blockchain technologies that are also implementing smart contracts. Um, and so there's going to be more things available eventually, but we don't know kind of how that's all going to play out. So that's something you have to kind of learn and follow. But sort of a PSA to be aware of right now, um, if you're wanting to get into it, Ethereum is uh, has exceptionally expensive transaction fees. So um, when you, uh, so when you, when you initially, you know, start off, if you like move Ethereum from one wallet to another, like you've got to pay, you know, an Australian, like for me the other day, I, I set up one and in order to get, so in order to, for a lot of these platforms, in order to mint an NFT, you have to do at least one transaction. So and that's a zero sum transaction. Like it's, you're not actually being charged anything, but you have to engage with the blockchain through their system and you have to pay. There's the, there's the gas fee, which you'll hear 
people talk about gas a lot if you start learning about this. And gas is this fee that's associated with how much it costs to write, basically write your transaction into the spreadsheet across all these computers, right? If you go back to that initial analogy. Uh, and it's really expensive. So like for me, I did one, I, I minted my first one uh, the other day to learn about what it was like. And I had to pay, I think I paid 60 bucks, 70 bucks Australian um, just to set up, do that gas transaction. Um, thankfully, a lot of the platforms now do gasless minting. So you can create a lot of different pieces of art without paying any gas and they sort of they're not i don't even know exactly it's sort of like they're they're not technically on the blockchain like um it's the way it works but you can make a lot of art um and publish a lot of these things without paying gas fees on a lot of these different sites um but uh but anyways just be aware of that if you're wanting to get into it it can be expensive do your research um and uh yeah anything you want to add to that uh Rhett? uh no that's that's I get good it right that's my main question <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it can be uh, cost prohibitive to uh, to beginners sometimes uh, because it's so competitive, and the the gas fees do work on like a um, you know if you pay the most gas, you get through the transaction first. Uh, so there's an incentive to you know if you've got an important transaction, then there's an incentive to pay more and more fees or more and more gas. That's what pushes the price up quite high so the more popular this space is the higher those fees are going to be until there's a, a change in the yeah, infrastructure and that's, and that's like a, that's a problem with ethereum you could kind of think of it like it's actually a design flaw in the scalability of ethereum and i know that like i've read like ethereum 2.0 they're trying to address that um and make that uh, an easier thing um another thing as well is the uh, the, the, the environmental impact, which is another criticism that people bring up about cryptocurrency in general because of all the, you know, the, the Bitcoin mining. So this massive drain on power grids, people are sucking so much power into their GPUs to mine all this uh, cryptocurrency. It's really bad for the environment. I know that from the research I've done, I don't know if you've seen anything more that you could add to this, Rhett, but I have seen that like, like I know like Ethereum 2.0, they're really trying to address that in the way that it functions so that it doesn't require all this power on the GPU side to mine Bitcoin. Is that something you've been aware of or see it changing, I guess, in the future? Yeah, I do. Like they say it's coming, you know, Ethereum 2.0, and that's going to change things and be better. And it, it will, but I don't think we can bank on that and just wait for that. I think it's a good, it's a good idea to sort of be mindful of, you know, the environmental impacts just in general of everything we do, not just this space. Um, so yeah, I think that's important to try and be mindful of all that stuff as well. But I, but unfortunately, once again, I think uh, the people that usually bring that up uh, have read like one or two articles about it. And the, the main articles that are out there about that, I've read those same ones that people, because I ask people to tell me the sources where they're getting this information from, because I've been in this space a long time and I sort of feel like I know a lot about it. And then when someone tells me about something, I thought, well, show me where it's from. These articles that most of this information from are riddled with misinformation uh, and they don't understand, you know, how much uh, minting a token affects the actual, you know, uh, blockchain or energy used and it's, it, it, it's different to what is in their article and people are, are equating, like, the whole usage of the whole system to one person minting something and they're putting all that shame on them, which is far out, you know, you know, outweighing. It's sort of like 
sort of like uh, blaming someone for minting an NFT uh, for using the whole Ethereum blockchain right. is like is like yelling at a photographer for using the monetary system. You know, how dare you? You know, <laughs> you be part of this thing which is you know. And once again, it comes from people who are just not interested in this whole thing and just want it to go away. And I think it's it's pretty pretty uh, sort of backwards thinking to think just this whole thing can stop. It's like saying, I don't like the internet. It causes, you know, carbon emissions. I think you should just stop using the internet. And I was like, okay, you, you're probably right. If we stopped using all the servers around the world and it would, you know, have an impact. But when you look at that, what that impact is and who you're going after, when you see how infinitesimally small it is, it's crazy compared to, you know, if, if you're, if you eat meat, and you use electricity in your home, you probably use already way more than minting a, a single NFT would use. So there you go. It's, it's crazy. Here to hear first, everybody, veganism, it's the way to go. All right. So um, with, are there any, uh, on that, just a final point, are there any um, cryptocurrencies that you are, or I shouldn't say cryptocurrencies, um, any blockchain technologies that you're, that are on your radar that you think uh, could be more useful than ethereum like are there any other places artists not i'm not talking about you know investing in a cryptocurrency and making a lot of money i'm talking about just practically yeah, yeah. for an artist like if i'm minting a new nft you know are there any uh, other things that should yeah, consider? Yeah. i think it'd probably get confusing uh at this stage like if you've not it, ethereum is the one you should be looking at entering if you're minting nfts although these most of the platforms use that anyway so you won't even need to know about it you just get on these platforms they've created an experience which is pretty easy uh, that you don't even need to be mindful of how the blockchain works or what the technology is um, but yeah but for other people there like there's if other people are experienced I'll, I'll mention some up-and-coming ones like flow blockchain uh, luxo hasn't been uh, released yet that's interesting cardano is meant to be something that you know might be useful for nfts uh, but a lot of these are unproven yet, and they're just things maybe to think of for the future. Are there risks for an artist? Like, say, I, you know, I go mint an NFT with Cardano, right? Is there is there a risk that if that blockchain doesn't eventuate, that technology fizzles out, does my artwork go with it? Uh, yeah, well, your artwork will be connected or the token you create will be on that blockchain. So it will always be there. But if it's if no one's using it, it's a dead blockchain. It's, it's like having your profile on MySpace. You know, it's there, <laughs> but no one cares, and so it's it's not useful to anyone. Uh, so that's an interesting point. I think maybe to be aware of is thinking about like the the value of your work has some connection to the uh, the platform that you're using, um, the the blockchain platform that you're using. Is that, is that like? Uh, yeah, and. and and also, I don't know if it's a huge deal, but uh, whenever you mint using one of these platforms, say a Super Rare or OpenSea, Rareable, Maker's Place, there's heaps more, uh, you're using their contract to mint to the blockchain. So they're putting their little bit of metadata in saying this originated from this platform um, and it goes onto the blockchain and that's there forever. So everyone can see where that was minted from i don't know if it's a big deal or not but if that becomes 
like a hated platform for some reason, then that's always going to be there that you used that platform to, to do your minting. But mm. yeah, I, I don't, I can't foresee any huge problems with that apart from it just being a dead platform and you can, you can always migrate that it's on the blockchain. You can always, you know, open that up in some other platform. Yeah. Uh, right. You can, you can mint something in open C and then, you know, sell it and then somebody else could sell it on like, I don't know, maker's place, for example. Yeah. So one of the big things that could be a downer with that is, um, one of the greatest things with the smart contracts is they've built in a lot of these platforms built in 10% royalties that go back to the creator. So that's every, every time, that sells, every right? time someone sells a work that you created and sold on the primary market, 10% or whatever, it's usually 10% goes back to you as the creator every time it changes hands and sells, whether it's for profit or a loss on that other person's side, 10% goes back to you. So there are ways to bypass that uh, if people are trying to be sneaky. Um, but generally the consensus is that's a good practice to, to have. And that's something that doesn't happen in the traditional art market, mm. which is amazing in this new market, which is worth mentioning. That is really exciting. We haven't talked about that yet. Is that transferable between the different marketplaces? Like it's not a marketplace platform dependent thing, right? That's It kind of is. That's why I was bringing it up when we're saying the platforms or whatever. It's yeah. kind of baked into their contract that right. they put. So if it sells on their secondary market, they honor it. But sometimes there's ways to get around it. If you send it to OpenSea and then it doesn't recognize the contract that it was originally made and then someone buys it on OpenSea, they might not recognize the royalties that need to be paid out. Hmm. Uh, or even if you want to be even more slick and secret about it, you can just pay someone cryptocurrency, just email them, say, just transfer it to me you know, so I don't have to pay any of right, these yeah, other fees. And then sometimes like transferring is cheaper than actually auctioning or selling something on on the market so the gas fees are even cheaper so you can sometimes get around ways of you know and then the royalties won't find their way back to the creator as well yeah the black market of online art dealing that's <laughs> it's a whole new the world oh um all right well that's i think that's really good um uh, like hopefully hopefully everybody's found that really helpful um as just a i guess a deep dive into what this space looks like and why it's gonna stick around and how to think about it post bubble um and what you can be doing as an artist to engage in it is there any um for someone just getting started like do you have a platform that you recommend to you know not one of the ones that you have to apply to get into but just a uh, one that you could just jump on and start playing around with yeah so OpenSea or rareable are the two uh easily accessible you just need your ethereum wallet with a little bit of ethereum in there to pay for the fees um but beyond those two totally open platforms, and, and they're legit platforms like celebrities have launched on Rarible, uh, you know, A-list music stars or whatever have put their things on OpenSea. Um, so they're used by, by everyone. They're not frowned upon at all. Uh, they're just, because so many people are using them, it's a bit of a trash and treasure, uh, you know, as they say in the US, yard sale type of thing. You, you know, you might find something really awesome, but there's a lot of trash there to, to wade your way through. Uh, so sometimes these curated platforms are better to get onto. Um, so at the moment, uh, what is winning that battle is foundation because if you know someone who's already a creator on there that's made a sale, they can give you an invite directly to come onto that platform. Whereas 
some of these other more established sites like Super Rare, Nifty Gateway, and Maker's Place, Known Origin as well as another one, it can be really hard to get onto those platforms. They're like, you have to put in a submission, but they're almost like invitation only type of places. And I sort of imagine them now like they're music labels where even if you're a good singer, it doesn't mean you automatically can get onto Sony or Universal Music. You know, they have to sort of curate you and pick you and recommend you to, to on their platform. And that's sort of what the purpose of their platform exists is to only offer up a selection of you know artists that they vetted and um yeah so that's how i think about it um and so they're good and most of them don't do marketing for you at all it's still up to you to do your own marketing to bring your own audience or to bring your own collectors and find them uh bring them with you but what they do is a lot of the collectors will go to those sites and just browse what's new and the activity and they will discover you there. And it is probably easier to get discovered on a platform like the more established ones because it's not as saturated with just everything. So that's why it's desirable to get on there. Uh, also to be among sort of other people who are known as sort of recognised top artist or, or whatever. But mm. If you're just starting, I would definitely recommend OpenSea uh, to, to learn and Rarible is another one um, that has its unique ways of doing things, which is is really good as well. Yeah, that's really good advice. All right, so those are the places to check out. Yeah, I know the um, the, the curated ones, they are tough. Uh, you know, you have to go through a full application process. You submit a video that kind of you pitch yourself and your work and you've got to have some specific pieces that you've set up. And so I've, I've applied to those top three. So like the... Uh, nifty gateway uh super rare and um maker's place right those are the three that i put my my head in the ring for and yeah, i haven't gotten it anywhere like you know so it's definitely not yeah. and at the moment it's I, I can imagine they're just getting absolutely blasted with submissions like you go into super rare and you submit, i love their their submission it's all they're all google forms like that's the best part you know and like the super rare one says you know this is we're launching next year you know and it's like I bet they wrote that like last year at some time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I probably used the same one. Yeah, that completely. It still says yeah, we're going to launch next year, but in the meantime, you know, thanks for it. But uh, one thing that has been cool though is like with Maker's Place, for example, uh, their submission process. Uh, you can get onto their Discord, um, which is which is actually kind of cool. Like it's nice to get into some Discords. I think with some other uh, artists, you know, um, anybody can get into these, so they're not selected. And it's I don't know, it's nice to kind of be able to be around other people talking about the stuff. Um, be able to post up your art and get some feedback and you know there's a nice community of people to, i think to, gathering around these are there any like really good gathering hubs Rhett, that you know of that are yeah i've had to learn all that stuff i don't think i even used discord before getting into crypto art but i've really <laughs> been enjoying it yeah yeah it's uh i've it's had to learn so much <laughs> but um yeah there are lots of great discords every one of those platforms has a discord you can hang around in and, and talk to people uh but just in general, I like I hang around sometimes the whale Discord. This is a whole different realm as like social tokens, and there's uh, plat um, yeah, it, there's sort of ways of creating your own token, and people have done that. And related to um, NFTs in general, there's a, a, a thing called Whale Coin, and they have a Discord, 
and they uh, like a, a community of people who are into NFTs in general. And like they regularly have Twitch streams, they have poker nights, they have uh, online games that you can play with people who are just into similar things. And then they, they just chat about NFTs in general and what's happening around the space. So that can be an interesting one to get into. That's discord.gg forward slash whale, I think is their, is their Discord. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a really growing community, and it's uh, I think there's a lot of um, fun things going on, so it's worth checking out. Um, awesome, man. Well, um, let's let's just talk. Let's have a little segue and just kind of head towards wrapping things up. But I want to talk about uh, you know being an artist in general. So um, just your process and and what your I guess what what does your day look like? Like, I mean, are you creating art all day? Or are you do you got your day job and you're creating art at night? Like, what's you know, are you still doing design? Like, how does it fit for you as an artist? Yeah. Where do you find that? Time? So I've, I'm, I guess they call like a, a daily artist. I do uh, an artwork every day and I post it on Instagram. So it's such I, a loaded uh, statement. Now. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> every day. Um, yeah. 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 So yeah, it's hard to, I don't try and compare myself to people because I'm never going to <laughs> be able to say I've been doing it for 13 years. Um, but I have done like, I do sort of uh, year-long uh, everyday projects and that, that changes from time to time. So like, um, you know, in 2018, it was a year of learning cryptocurrency. You know, I did every did a day of cryptocurrency something every every day. But generally it's art-related before, you know, photography or um, in the last several years, it's, it's, it's been 3D. It's been uh, Cinema 4D and, you know, does art and design. Uh, so I, I do that, but... That doesn't take up my full day. Uh, at the start of this year, I said to myself I was 100% crypto artist. So that is all I do. So I've got uh, so projects coming up that I know about. I'm, I'm designing things or I'm trying to you know, put together uh, my releases for that and I'm trying, you know, I'm experimenting and exploring with things in my everyday artworks and so I use that as an exploration and then that sort of helps guide me into what I'll be releasing and what bigger projects I'll be getting into and releasing later on. So I've got things lined up. So I've got another Nifty Gateway release coming in June. So I know that's, you know, a couple of months, a few months out. I've got that on my mind. But then I've also got releases happening on Maker's Place, uh, you know, maybe I'll do something foundation and maybe I'll do something for these other platforms that are coming out as well. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm planning what I'll be releasing, why I'm releasing it, making things around it. And then I also have my YouTube channel that I, I put up a video pretty much every week uh, to do with crypto art generally. It used to be tutorials for, for Cinema 4D and Octane, uh, but now it's pivoted to crypto art because it's really taken off and that's all anyone asks me about <laughs> nowadays anyway right. so but i still i still love the art of it and i still love the learning and the exploring and um yeah i'm always to, to push myself to get something out every day forces me to just pick up you know to open the program at least and to do something and then that's all, often all that's needed to get me going for a few more minutes a few hours or and then something comes out and sometimes it's just learning how i can get something out within 15 minutes it doesn't look like crap 
And I'm like, okay, I've learned something new, how I can do something really quickly and it looks okay. And maybe I learned a new technique in, in doing that. So, yeah. That's cool. So your process then is very much like a uh, kind of a free form, free thought sort of thing where you just sort of jump in and you just get your hands dirty in the program and you see what emerges. Is that kind of right? Is that- uh, I think it's iterative. So I, I treat my everydays like, um, like I'm trying to learn something and then often that builds up to a bigger project. So maybe I don't know how to do wind dynamics on a leaf. And so that day I'll spend trying to learn how to do that. And then once I figure that out, I'll post up something to do with it. I'll make it look, you know, presentable. And then the next day it will be like the lighting, you know, how do I get some translucency or lighting to come through that leaf? And but maybe I won't do it on a leaf. I'll do it on something else. So I learn the technique and then, so that grows into a bigger project where, you know, one of my, uh, I think my release a few weeks ago on Nifty Gateway, I had, um, it was in a forest and I had like a, a, these blocks. And so, you know, I was teaching myself in my dailies for the months leading up to it, like how do I do the texture on the blocks and how do I do these leaves like falling through the forest to make it look natural and how do I do the lighting through fog and then how do I – so I'd have like a little snippet each day of my experiments doing those. Um, so, they're, you know, I guess they're an artwork in their own right, but I'm doing those as an iterative process so I can learn. I can learn techniques or I can be surprised by what I've discovered or some random thing and I'll post that up. But I know it's all sort of leading to a bigger idea that I've got in my head and so I've usually you know I've got uh, I've got to-do lists and I've got my list of things that are coming up and uh, ideas I have notes of ideas and so I've got like a plethora of you know crap and notes and things that I I've got and I just slowly make my way through those it's just like a visual diary to me is how I treat my uh, my daily stuff is yeah it's just what I'm working on at the time. So if you look back at it, you'll see how it relates to something I release. But you know, if I didn't do my everydays, it would probably be the same thing and just you wouldn't see anything. And I, I wouldn't have that. Just having that commitment to do something sort of helps. In the, I just know that every day this year I'll be doing, I'll have to put something up. So I may as well make it worthwhile or, or useful to my own growth, um, at, you know, even if it doesn't look great, you know, it's at least it's um, something useful for my own growth there. But generally I try and make it presentable at the end of the day, at least. <laughs> That's what we're all trying to do, right? It's, it's the <laughs> internet. Um, I, I think it's really cool what you're talking about because the, um, it's maybe that's a really good um, thing for people to grab hold of is this idea of, when you sit down to do something, um, be guided by what you want to learn. Um, and I think that that's a really cool insight that you're bringing out. Uh, cause I know from myself as an artist, like reflecting on my own work, it's, it's definitely, that's a big driver for me, you know, and I get like, if I get a client, even with client work, I get a brief in, you know, for a, a video and, you know, we need to come up with some cool design for it. Often what uh, motivates me is I, I think about that. I think, well, what do I, what do I not know how to do? Like, I want to, I want to do some crazy cool particle thing, or I've, you know, really want to explore 
geometry nodes and and so you you create that uh that motivation for yourself and the the learning right and you begin to tie that in because i think uh, you know the idea of doing a piece of art every day is a very intimidating idea you know <laughs> like that's a scary yep. thought um and how do you get so you got your sketch pad right and you, you you've got your you, you come up with ideas you've got your big picture like let's talk let's talk this piece that you just released of the blocks um you know that idea did you have that as like a pretty concrete idea in your head and you're working towards it with all your every days or was it just you had this loose concept of blocks stacked up in a forest could be cool uh i find my best executed projects i do have an idea of where i'm going but i don't know exactly how i'm going to get there uh and so i i sort of allow myself enough breathing space to explore and discover things along the way but i do have a, a plan of you know why i'm doing it so in that particular instance if i took to that one it's called combination block it was a pun on combination lock and so what I did around this piece is I created a whole um, puzzle world, like a treasure hunt world. And the idea was to bring the collectors and the creators together and form a new world going forward. Like, so that's what's happening in the crypto space at the moment. Yeah. I wanted to sort of, so that was like the idea behind it. And so then I thought, well, visually the way to represent that is to have 24 blocks, like 12 and 12 on each side coming together. So they all form this one sort of monolith uh, in a forest. Um, and that related to like, if you are in this puzzle, you have to sort of understand and discover a bit about crypto currencies and, crypt and publishing NFTs to solve this puzzle uh, because I hid an artwork on the blockchain and you had to discover, I, I distributed 12 seed words to creators and 12 positions of those worlds to collectors. And then if you could get all this information, put it together, then you discovered the wallet, you go to OpenSea, then you can transfer this secret hidden artwork to yourself. And then hopefully it's worth you know several thousands of dollars. So it forced the participants to, uh, to learn a bit about the crypto space and it forced creators and collectors to come together so I had the, the, this idea, but then I had to come up with how I was going to visually represent that. Um, yeah, and so eventually it was discovered. It's called the keystone block. Um, so you have the combination block and the keystone block and you put them together and they, you could see how sort of one's in the snow and, and uh, dark blocks and the other one's in the forest and it's white blocks and they're sort of like an inverse of each other. Uh, so, yeah, the story and the idea was there. But then I just experimented with, okay, each day I would be like, okay, how are these blocks going to look? Are they going to be really shiny or are they distressed? And what's this world going to be looking like? You know, uh, is there much movement? Is there not? Is it a quiet place? Is it? So I'm just exploring the those themes and the textures and the layout and I'm, I'm exploring those things throughout the month. But I know the overall idea where I'm trying to, the story I'm trying to tell. So, yeah. That's what that's I'm cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool, man. Room to breathe and experiment, yeah. um, but but a clear vision, an idea of what you're trying to get to at the end. Mm. That's a really good breakdown of it because I think you know for a lot of people maybe that are thinking about getting into art, um, you know, we, we, we often uh, Andrew Price, uh, the Blender Guru uh, YouTuber, has this great thing that he talked about in one of his recent podcasts. He said, you know, you scroll through ArtStation and it's and it's like 
it's just, it's really uninspiring at the moment because it's just all the same stuff. It's like, you know, some dude with a giant Thor hammer. It's a, it's a mech. It's a, you know, it's the same thing over and over again. It's this idea that there's this whole culture of 3d artists and, and, you know, 2d artists and stuff that have kind of grown up amongst this online world where the only way to make money as an artist is if you get a job at XYZ as a concepts, you know, artist. Right. And, and so that's just, everything is geared towards getting work as a concept artist. Like it's just, that's what all the work is. And, and so coming out of that, like, this is a huge mind shift for people like that want to get into this space because now it's possible. And thinking about art, like, I really liked the way you broke that down because it's, it's this idea of how do you find finding, finding meaning in things because people want to associate meaning. They want to, they want to inject meaning into art when they look at it. And so as an artist, you know, it's thinking about what can I say about society? What can I say about my world? What can I, what can I say about my emotions or my response to things? And, and then figuring out a way to visualize that or express that. Like, even if it's like, a you know, even you, you see those, you know, paintings and it's just color, it's just composition, color, and shape. You know, if you look at that, it's going to evoke an emotion, you know, it's going to remind you of something and there, there's intention there. And I think that's like, what you need to think about when you're approaching art is, is you have to think about what's your intention and it doesn't have to be hugely complex, but just to, even just thinking about it a little bit will set you on a really cool path to begin to come up with ideas like what you're describing, right? Where you, you've got the block in the snow and you've got the block and you've put them in different places. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And how is that representing this, this new world that you're describing with your work? And it's, it's fun. And I think the more interesting it is, the way people just really get a hold of it. Like they latch onto the concept, you know, like you look at the stuff that, you know, what are the most popular things that people has done, right? And you, like the things that are kind of hitting this chord, like the bull run thing that everyone always talks about, um, you know, you see a lot of, it's like that, that really captures a moment in history, you know, and then became a piece of history in the midst of that. Like there's a, there's some narrative to that that's really um, emotionally impacting. Um, that's, that's why I bought that one. That's right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's one one. You yeah. sold two, right? You got two, right? You, yeah, you I sold had one. Two. And you, yeah. I sold one. Yeah, yeah. That's right. You'll be able to buy your house one day with that, I'm sure. I, hopefully, yeah. Yeah, hopefully that. That says that's saying a lot in Australia. Well, Rhett, um, I really, really want to thank you for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you about all this stuff, and um, I really appreciate you putting yourself out there to to explain it for us. And um, I appreciate your content. I found your channel to be really encouraging and informative and level-headed in a sea of noise um, at the moment. And so your tone and approach to the material, I think just hits a very, very really good chord. And uh, I found it really, uh, really encouraging and helpful. So I'd encourage everybody to check out his channel. You can find it at Rhett forward slash mankind right is the name of the, the channel i'll put it in the oh yeah if you search red mankind it'll yeah. come up but literally if you just search what is an nft what is yeah. <laughs> i think i've got the top results for each of those yeah, yeah. Yeah. that's it you're the main youtuber at the moment for that so check him out i put the the links in the description and in the show notes as well um and where can people find your your, your everyday so where can they check that out uh, instagram uh mankind so m-a-n-k-i-n-d that's it on Instagram and on Sweet. Twitter it's Rhett R-H-E-T-T okay. yeah so go hunt him down and follow him in all those places and appreciate his work have a look at it it's some great stuff well thanks so much and uh, I'll catch you in the next podcast episode so stay tuned for that and until then uh, we'll catch you later see you everybody thanks again for listening and stay tuned we try and release a new episode every week and uh, if you'd like to find out how you could support my work and support the show, you can head over to Patreon. 
patreon.com slash cbaileyfilm. You can also find out all kinds of stuff about the work that I'm doing over on YouTube if you go to youtube.com slash cbaileyfilm. I will catch you there. Until the next one, see you later.